Welcome to the Mobilized Podcast. We equip Christ followers to boldly and courageously live mobilized in their faith, purpose, and life. Let's join James and Nicole. Well, welcome to this installment of the Mobilized Podcast. Man, I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. I'm here with the lovely, talented Nicole. Hello, hello, and welcome. So glad that you're here with me as well. Man, we've been having a great time as we've explored through this podcast series that we've really unpacked what it means to be mobilized in your faith and in purpose, and we're really going to tackle a new concept today, right? Yeah, yeah. Today we're talking about being mobilized in life. Ooh, that sounds deep and profound. Oh, so deep. We're going to get existential and ecumenical and, <laughs> and and all the big cerebral words. And, yeah. <laughs> because this is one of those big ones. It is life. Heavy. How do you define? Have you ever been asked to define the word life? You know, from time to time, I'll, I'll get people ask a lot. You know, what what is the meaning of life? What's uh-huh. the purpose of life? Right. And I can't say it's that common, but every now and then I have gotten the curveball, and somebody says, "Well, what really is life?" And how do you respond? Uh, let me ask my wife. <laughs> First of all, I'll get back to you. That's a wise answer. <laughs> <laughs> Life is one of those words that is, it's so much bigger than humans can describe yet. Absolutely. And yet, some of the brightest minds in the world have tried to define it. This is this is what they've come up with. Remember. Just so the listeners know, she looked right at me when she said some of the brightest <laughs> minds on planet Earth have tried to describe it. <laughs> well, here's what uh, these bright minds came up with. The smartest mm. of us all, the most intelligent and educated. Educated, right? Oh, this is what they came up with. Life is a characteristic of a living organism that distinguish, distinguishes the latter from a dead organism <laughs> or a non-living thing. Okay. Wow. Cambridge Dictionary says the period between birth and death Ooh. or the experience or state of being alive. Okay, not helping. Right. Collins Dictionary, life is the quality which people, animals, and plants have when they are not dead. (laughs) Wow. Right? That's really profound. So profound. So deep. So, okay, okay. Let's go back to what us normal people would go to for the definition of life. Let's go to Wikipedia. Wikipedia's got to have the answer. Obviously. Obviously. Wikipedia says this. There is currently no consensus regarding the definition of life. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for nothing, Wikipedia. But that's actually the wisest. That's the most accurate, I think, assessment. Exactly. But Forbes, Forbes has something to say about it, too. Okay. They say, despite hundreds of definitions, scientists still don't agree on what life actually is. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You see why I just said, let me ask my wife? (laughs) So why is it so hard to define? Why is life so hard to define. That's a big heavy one. But I think one of the reasons that I think it's so hard to define is because we're not the creators of life. We don't understand it because we didn't come up with it. I mean, we have a finite understanding of everything in our world, right? It's kind of like time. Mm -hmm. I can't understand anything before or after time. I live within time, but God lives outside of time. This is another one of those things that he created. We're his workmanship. We're handcrafted by the hand of the all-knowing God. We can't describe what we don't know. That's true. We don't know. We weren't there. We didn't come up with it. So how could we possibly put it into words? And we just heard what the scholars came up with, but but what about us everyday humans? What what do we think life is? <laughs> well, I, we tend to equate life with people, 
right? right? Things, yeah. occupations, health, or for an alarming small minority, faith. True. Sometimes yeah. factors in. Uh, it turns out that we instinctively know that if we're breathing, then we're alive. What? So we kind of skip, right? I know. I'm really <laughs> hitting the obvious, Captain Obvious uh, award today. Uh, but we skip that and we define life by what we see, what we hear, mm. things we experience, the things that get mm. us out, out of bed in the morning, right? Mm. We mm-hmm. call this the meaning of life. Mm. Uh, we came across a really interesting study this past week uh, from pre Pew Research, and yeah. it really took uh, the developed countries and it, it surveyed people as to what the meaning of life was, what they defined life was, their priorities in life. And so it really took like uh, um, Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, France, Greece, Germany, Canada, Singapore, Italy, Netherlands, Belgium, Japan, UK, the US, Spain, South Korea, and Taiwan. And they looked at the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, like top things that they considered life to be. Right. And the majority, the sweeping majority, all but really three mm-hmm. out of all of those developed nations surveyed said family was, was the, the first, first thing. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, yeah. right? They define life as being, well, it, the purpose of life, what really drives me is family. Which makes sense. You have to go back to Genesis to the very beginning when mm. God created Adam and Eve and then said, be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. So it was the very first command that he gave us. It was the first thing yeah. for us to do. So it makes sense, sort of, that that would be first place is family. Family. It, mm-hmm. it makes sense. God put it inside of us, right? Right. The second thing was uh, not as uh, wide sweeping in terms of the unanimous answer. A little more than half said occupation. I thought that was kind of interesting, mm-hmm. but it, it makes sense. I mean, when you right. introduce yourself to someone, one of the first things you do is, oh, hey, I'm so-and-so. Oh, I'm so-and-so. What do you what do? What do you do? That, mm-hmm. Right? That's, yes. that's our identity. We right. kind of are worth who we are. Everything's mm-hmm. wrapped up into that. So it makes sense why that was number two. Right. Um, really coming in, eh, I guess, is the second. Uh, right. Close second was material well-being. Yeah. Stuff. So your occupation and then your material well-being. Mm-hmm. How well am I being cared for by the roof over my head, the car mm-hmm. that I drive, the bank right. account, the size of my TV, etc. Uh, very small minority said friends. Right. <laughs> okay. Friends are not high on the list. <laughs> no. When you look at the third place, friends starts to take a little more prominent mm-hmm. place with a handful of these nations. Health starts to pop up. Mm-hmm. You see that a little bit. Um, society was an odd one. Right. High Hobbies made an appearance, right? Um, but again, just in a handful. You go to the fourth place. Material well-being was mm-hmm. really, by and large, the majority in that right. in that category. Right. Um, health, occupation, family, freedom. That was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Taiwanese people, actually. Yeah. So you can kind of see by the way they live, their quality of life, and what they're exposed to, how some of the way they define, the lens they look through, right. uh, becomes a little more apparent. Right. I thought it was interesting, though, when you go all the way to the fifth priority, the fifth meaning of life, the column there that uh, rounds out this top five, and it's kind of a mixed bag, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you see... Uh, society, friends, hobbies, uh, general well-being, general positivity, friends, occupation. Mm-hmm. But one made an appearance that hadn't popped up in one, two, three, or four, uh-huh. and only one. Really interesting. And it's faith. Yeah. That's pretty crazy, right? That is crazy. And it only popped up in one country. Yes. Can you guess what country that is? United States the of America. United States. I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> That's interesting. But again, you know, the rest of the world calls us a Christian nation. And for the most part, throughout 
the history of our country, we really were. We were a faith-based country. Faith was woven into our Constitution, into our Declaration of Independence, mm-hmm. our founding fathers, most of them professed to be Christians. It, it, it was in our educational system, in our right. government as it was formed. So it didn't pop up in any of the other developed nations, and it was only fifth, but it did make the top five, which was right. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um the topic of faith, uh, religion, and spirituality is also one where some societies notably differ, and I thought that was really interesting. Outside of the U.S., religion is never even one of the top ten sources of the meanings of life that were cited in this. Wow. Um, no more than even 5% of non-American public mentioned it wow. in the survey. That's that's alarming, right? That is. In the U.S., however, 15% mentioned religion or God as a source of meaning, uh, making it the fifth most mentioned topic in the U.S. So for some, the emphasis on religion is about their personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. And, you know, here's what some of them said. I follow Jesus, so my faith and my hope is based on how he plays a role in my life, right? So we're not relying on any human to benefit my life. Across right. all U.S. religion uh, religious groups, those who attend religious services more often were much more likely to cite their religion in their answer versus those who actually are less frequent in their church attendance. That's so that's that notable right there, yeah, right? right? So when you're you're in it, you're invested, you're leaning in, yep. it faith, it really is in one of the top priorities. You right. see it woven in how you define the meaning of life. Right. And that starts to pull away and the gap widens mm-hmm. the less you expose yourself to your faith community and to church. Right, right. And, you know, God knows us, right? He knows how we define life. What Those top five right there, that was actually just the top five of the top ten. Mm. But he, he knows when he created how we would define life, what we search for as the possible meaning to this life, and, and what we would pursue, mm. what we would pursue in our search for happiness. Yeah. God, he knows all of this. And in the United States, it's interesting, right? <clears throat> Our Declaration of Independence is written like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable unalienable rights. Wow. (laughs) Say that five times fast. (laughs) That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm. The pursuit of happiness. You can kind of see that what the top three things were when they created... Uh, these United States of America, what those things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And because nobody wants to live a miserable life. No. Right? We don't want to live. No. <laughs> nobody wants to find their lifetime as the time between life and death, yeah. like our scholars earlier just yeah. you know, defined it. that little dash between my year of birth and death on the headstone, right? Right, right. So we've kind of come up with this thing where now we're told happiness is the goal. Mm. Or happiness is the goal. So so what brings us happiness? What brings humans happiness? Well, you know, I, I want to really point out a very important principle that the Bible teaches us about happiness. You know, we, we search externally, but happiness is not found in what happens to us. Happiness is found in what happens inside of us. And that's a principle we find directly from the Bible. Throughout right. the Bible, life isn't about the happy, that what happens to us and the happiness and the joy that comes from these external conditions here mm-hmm. on earth. But happiness is through Jesus. It talks Mm -hmm. more about eternity than it does our limited time on earth. But, you know, there's one sermon that speaks specifically to how we can achieve happiness and purpose here on earth. It's the beginning of the most famous sermon that was ever given by Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? You guys have heard about this. It was the Sermon on the Mount, and it was given this name because Jesus gave the sermon on the side of a mountain. Whoa, profound once again. Not just a (laughs) clever name. 
<laughs> Very profound. You see, people in the first century, they weren't a whole lot different from you and I. They were looking for peace and contentment and purpose and meaning in life, happiness in right. life. Uh, but they're also searching for what would satisfy their souls. And so Jesus starts off with eight short sayings that we call the Beatitudes. And we call them the Beatitudes because each one starts with the word blessed. Mm-hmm. And the word blessed, it means happy or to be content or to have inner joy. And for a lot of us, I think that we would define a fulfilled life as having those things, right? These eight mm-hmm. virtues, though, they're not describing eight different types of people. You know, you, you start to think, well, okay, well, you're, you're the type that's poor in spirit, or you're the type that mourns, or you're, you're, oh, you're one of those hunger and thirst for righteousness kind of people. <laughs> no, what he's talking about are these qualities need to be present in every person's life who truly wants to be happy and content. In fact, there's a natural progression through this section. Every virtue builds on the next one as you go through that section. That, that's pretty cool. I love that you said that it's not describing eight different types of people. Mm-hmm. That each one of those, each one of those things, is in each and every one of us. Yeah. Because you go back to looking at that chart of the most important things in life, and it's not just one thing. Yeah. There's multiple areas, and yes. God knew the complexity mm-hmm. that He built inside of us, that He put inside of us, and knew. I need to list some things, right? I need to list some things. So the first four Beatitudes deal with our relationship with God, and then the next four deal with our relationship with each other, Mm -hmm. which clearly reflects the first one on there was family, which is the second thing Jesus talks about, by the way. It wasn't the first. The first four was our relationship with God. So Jesus is putting into perspective here what's important. Mm -hmm. He's saying, you're going to come up with your list of things that's important, the things that make up life to you, but let me help you. Let me put, let me tell you these things and tell you what's important if you really want to live life, yeah. right? Life with purpose. Exactly. So as we talked about earlier, the, the number one meaning of life worldwide is family. Hmm. And God wasn't even in the top 10, except for in the US. And then even then, faith took fifth place. That's not even on the metal podium. No, it's it's humanity is struggling to find the meaning of life because we have our priorities mixed up. Yeah. Because faith was fifth in one country. And not first the way it's supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. Let's look at what Jesus has to say. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's found in Matthew 5, 1 through 3. Now Jesus looked out at the crowd and said, Happy are you when you are poor in spirit. (laughs) Wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. Let's Excuse just stop. Me? Right. <laughs> Let's just stop there for a moment. That, that's a really strange way to start a sermon, right? Uh, you might have misspoke, right? Um, my ear said, uh, happy are you when you're rich in all things. <laughs> I mean, nowadays it'd be like starting the message with, everybody's going to hell <laughs> unless you accept Jesus. <laughs> like, right? It yes. is so shocking to the system yes. when he says this, happy are you when you are poor. Now think about it. Where in our world, when ever do we say that anybody who is poor in anything is to be considered happy? Oh, absolutely. Jesus is turning all of our preconceived ideas about happiness and contentment completely Mm, upside down. Yes. Happier those who are poor in spirit. So what's Jesus saying here? I mean, he's telling us that happy are those who realize and admit just how spiritually empty they really are. Apart from him, we're nothing. 
Happy wow. are those who realize that apart from God, they have no hope. Mm-hmm. And the word poor that Jesus used in this really means to shrink or to cower or to cringe like beggars did in the first century. Now, it's an idea that I have nothing and I'm holding out my hand in hopes that you might give me something that I desperately need to survive. I mean, wow. think about it this way. Uh, whatever your circumstances, you have to acknowledge that you have nothing apart from God to give. Mm-hmm. So first, you have to receive from God before you can give. Your dependence is on God first. You know, you have to admit that you're poor in spirit. You have to admit that you're completely dependent on God for your life, for your breath, for everything. Well, okay, I have to just say this, but you know that's going to rub people wrong, right? Oh, absolutely. It, it rubs me wrong. It is so <laughs> uncomfortable to say that we are nothing and that we have to come to God in the beggar's posture mm. of saying, I have nothing and everything I'm going to receive from here on out comes from you. Yes. That is complete and total dependence that just makes us feel vulnerable. Yeah. Very vulnerable. We don't like to feel vulnerable, right? We're the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is what we're supposed to be about. Yeah, self-reliance exactly. and independence. Yeah. We don't like to admit, right? We don't like to admit that we need anybody. Right. We don't like the idea that even when life is hard or hurtful or disappointing and doesn't tick off all the happiness boxes, <laughs> that we can still be happy and live a fulfilled life. Mm. That's hard for us to wrap our brains around because we're so used to the idea of our comfort is what brings us happiness. And it's not always just the things we have. I I remember when our daughter, when Nichelle was diagnosed with NF, and it's an incurable condition that only God holds the cure to. And I remember early on, you know, it was a years long process that to this day we still deal with, but... Happiness felt like it was on the other side of finding answers. Mm. Do you remember that? Yes. It was like, I won't be happy again until she's better or we find answers or we find a solution. Yeah. Uh, recently, my brother passed away and my dad. And the feeling of uh, just heavy grief and sadness, it felt like I just wanted to get back to normal. Mm. If I can just get back to the happiness I had before they mm. passed away. And then that became the new goal yes. of happiness. That was the new standard to it's reach. A new pursuit. Right, yeah. right. And so happiness changes. Yes. It's not always what's around us, mm. the material things, but sometimes what's in our hearts. And that's why Jesus always brings us back to him, right? Yeah. Uh, Paul writes it like this in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Wow. He was poor in spirit, and because he opened his hands and his life to God and allowed him to be the source of happiness and life, he was content. Mm -hmm. He was happy. Mm -hmm. And we know Paul's story. Right. I mean, the guy didn't live a cushy life. He was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, stoned, and not the kind that maybe you think, you know, that would bring (laughs) you some happiness, like rocks pelting the guy. Right. He had a rough life, but he still found joy and contentment. He said he found the secret. Right. The the essence, the secret to life. I want to mm-hmm. say one more thing about uh, being poor in spirit. 
that it, it's an attitude. It's not a single event. And I think Paul would echo that if he were here today, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be better to say, blessed are those who are continually poor in spirit. Wow. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes we forget just how good God has been to mm-hmm. us and how sinful we really are. Right. We have a tendency, if we're being honest, that after we've asked Jesus to come into our life and to change us and be the Lord and forgive you of our life, that we go right back to living our life our own way right. in pursuit of our own sources of happiness. Mm-hmm. But being poor in spirit, it's an attitude that reminds us that what Jesus did for us by dying on the cross, and then that spurs us on to have this desire to be completely dependent on Him. Oh, that's so good. I, I love what you said. That it, it's it's a continual attitude. It's it's not a one and done thing. You yeah. don't you don't just check it off on your list of things to do and feel like okay, I'm good now. But it's and, and I think that gets harder the more you have too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the more you have uh, material things as well as accomplishments and and life in general, memories, experiences, mm. you tend to fall back again to where I can take care of myself. Yeah. Like I got this. Yeah. And but Jesus just so clearly says, no, no, blessed, happy are you. And we see that. Right. Mm. Yes. I, I mean, I think you brought it up before, like um, artists. Yes. Right. Well, what are some of those artists that you always bring up? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. Right. And Elvis Presley. I mean, the king, right? You right. got Whitney Houston, Marilyn Monroe. They're, they've got fame. They've got all of this at their disposal. The world is at their feet. Right. But they were miserable. They right. were pursuing everything and all the external comforts and remedies to unhappiness and discontentment, and they were still miserable. Still miserable. And you see that too in our world now, as you see that faith has become non-existent in our priorities. I don't know about you, but if you look at our world around us today, you see nothing but misery. There's literally a misery index that tracks and keeps account of how miserable people are, and they are getting more miserable and more unhappy every year that ticks by. And And you wonder why. Yeah. Every year, faith goes further and further, further from our priorities. List. Absolutely. Yep. You see the direct correlation. Yep. When we're in poor in spirit, when we are completely dependent on Him for our joy and happiness and this thing we call life, <laughs> then all the other things we identify as the meaning of life, like uh, marriage mm. or family, career, friends, hobbies, health, material things, stuff... Th- they're all touched by him. When Jesus is is in us, then he flows through us mm. and into the other parts of our lives that make up life. Mm, that's good. I think that's that's important to sit on that just for a moment and think about that. So Jesus isn't saying those other things are bad, right? right? He never said that. Right. He didn't preach against those things. No. He says it's hard for those who are rich to mm-hmm. enter the kingdom right. because... They lack that poor in spirit. They don't need anybody for anything. Yeah. But he never preaches or teaches against those things. Right. What he says is the first thing you are is understand you need me. Yeah. And then when we accept that and we stay in that continual posture of hand out, head bowed, mm. knowing that everything comes from him, then he fills us and through us, it touches all the other parts of our life. Yes. Every other part, it flows through us and into those. And there's the joy that is infused in us that is infused into those things. Absolutely. And that's powerful to remember because we skip one really big step. Number one's family should be faith if you want the rest to work. Yeah. If you want the rest to work, the number one should be faith. I mean, even before Jesus came and gave us the fulfillment of the law, if you just go back to the Ten Commandments, I mean, he's you shall have no other gods before me. Right. That was like a, a 
big one at the top of the list. Mm. But we do. We put so many other things ahead of them. Good things. Right. Like you said, family, mm-hmm. um, security, being a good citizen, whatever it might be. But if you're putting it ahead of God, you're not going to find that contentment. Mm. You're not going to find the true meaning of life. You're trying to artificially define it and manufacture purpose mm. when it's not the way God wired you to live your life. So would you go so far as to say, if God's not first, if the posture isn't head bowed, hand open, and you put other stuff in that first place, would that become a God to make you happy? If Mm -hmm. he's saying, I'm supposed to be the one who fills you up and flows through, Mm -hmm. and we put a good thing, like you said, Mm -hmm. like family first, and make that the goal of happiness, would that be putting another God before him? I, I would say yes. Setting up another God. It doesn't have to be something we construct with our hands and yeah. kneel down to and worship, right? Yeah. It could just be something that we put in the place of God as most important in our lives. Right. That's a, absolutely right. And even, I mean, that's that's Old Testament law. And then right. when you kind of look at how Jesus, as he fulfilled the law, and we're, we're not living under the law, we're under grace now, thankfully. Right. Um, but Jesus even took that same concept and said something very controversial that we, we still struggle with today in terms of how to adapt it and apply it to our life. He said, your love and dependence for me and for the Father needs to be so mm, significant yes. that in comparison, it looks like you hate your mother and father and brother and sister. And you think, wait, what did you just say? I thought you were the God of love. Right. You were the you know two fingers up holding a lamb and everything is... <laughs> Zippity doo da, hunky dory. <laughs> you just said it's going to look like I hate my mother mm. and father and brother and sister. But what he's saying is you can't put them first. Right. The love you have for me has to be so significant, so much higher on the list. It can't mm. be this razor thin, you know, almost borderline tie between the first and second place. Mm. You know, because sometimes we do. It's like, oh, but you you gave me this gift of my family, so mm-hmm. I have to put them really high on the priority list. Mm-hmm. And we rationalize it. But he said, in comparison, it'll look like you hate them. Wow. That's a, that's a huge picture in my mind. And I think, wow, how do I apply that? So I, I don't focus on the hating my family part, just right, so you right, know, right. Nicole. I focus on <laughs> my love and pursuit of Christ has to be so significant, so much higher than everything mm. else that in, in comparison, it's going to be obvious that that is uncontestedly number one. That That's powerful. I uh, In my book, The Silent Army, I talk a little bit about that journey I went through like that, where I felt it was my responsibility to protect my family, and even from God, even from God, which is why ministry, going into ministry was so hard for me. Uh, The the thought of it, Mm -hmm. even going to church at times was like, I don't know, this is pushing it, this is pushing it. Um, And you can read the whole story in the Silence Army of how God revealed to me the importance of Him first over the family and how the family, actually every individual belongs to Him first anyway. Absolutely. Anyway. But anyway, I digress with that. But that... No, that's if really you ever good. get a chance to pick up the book, The Silenced Army. Oh, you've got to read it. Those of you, if you haven't read it yet, and there's a corresponding study that really helps you, uh, it's 10 weeks, right? 10 week yeah. study. Yeah. Um, the, there's a companion Bible slash book study with the book. They're both incredible tools and resources that really will transform your life and your, your faith um, mm-hmm. in so many ways. So pick up a copy um, wherever you get your books, NicoleJavis.com, Amazon, Books A Million, wherever. Yeah. Um, but grab a copy, get one for you, get one for a friend. But what we've been helping you understand in our humble opinion is this is what we believe Jesus would say 
is how to live mobilized in life. Remember that mobilized means uh, to assemble and be ready for action, right? If you recall that from Mm -hmm. even week one of this series, when we started to unpack what that even means. So allowing God to flow through us, as you just said, and into all the other parts of our lives, it energizes those other parts and Mm -hmm. assembles them to be ready to be used by Him giving us that abundant, full, meaningful, mobilized life he created us to have. That's good. And I mean, I don't see any other way. I know the right. scholars have all taken their shot at it and they failed miserably. <laughs> miserably. So Embarrassingly. We, uh, yes. We, we took our shot at it. And where, where we have landed is yes. that God wants to be first in your life. And when yeah. your pursuit is for him, he said, seek me first in my righteousness and I'll take care of the rest. Right. All the things that you're striving for, family, material comfort, hobbies, uh, social justice, all the things that made the top five or top 10, mm-hmm. he said, I'll take care of the rest mm-hmm. when you put the priorities in the right order and you pursue me first. Then you'll have the rich, mobilized life. Right. Um, so, man, we've been excited. This kind of wraps up our first podcast series as we've been going through this. And I don't know about you, but I've had a ton of fun. It's been a blast. Isn't it been? It has I, been. We might have to do it again. <laughs> for know. sure, for sure. So we're excited. We, we've got a handful of series like this throughout the year that um, we'll be diving into, taking us a little bit deeper into some of these important questions that occupy a lot of space in our, our hearts and our minds. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we have a better marriage? How can we be better parents? How can we be better Christ followers? How can we be confident in sharing our faith? Mm. We're going to keep unpacking how to be mobilized. That's mm-hmm. our mantra. We're, right. we're ascending ministry. We want to be right. an equipping ministry, giving you the tools and peeling back some of those layers that um, either have been mysterious or complicated or whatever has caused it to be an obstacle. We want to remove it uh, in your life. Mm-hmm. So we hope you'll stay tuned. Subscribe, follow, share uh, as we journey together and grow to be mobilized in every part of our life. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Mobilized YouTube page and follow us on social media at mobilized.life on Instagram and at livemobilized on Facebook. For more information and ways to connect, visit our website at mobilized.life.